This is The Stuck Stops Here. Your source for humor, healing, and honesty. I'm L.W. Nolai. I am Tammy Reseda Atman. Let's go. A tragedy that we can't see. A child that doesn't know. A tree that never leaves. Big roots down below. The voices at the door are the ones you can't ignore. Out of the fog into the sun. to my brave, courageous cycle breakers. I hope everyone is weathering this COVID pandemic as wonderfully as I am. And yes, that was sarcasm. Um, Today, we have a special guest, Colleen Perry. She is an advocate and freelance writer, and she writes about issues that children of alcoholics face. She also Uh, talks about healing from childhood trauma and getting past family dysfunction, which is something I think I know a little bit about. So uh, thank you and welcome to Colleen Perry. Thank you guys so much for having me on the show. So um, what I wanted to, you know, talk about Uh, You have a lot of experience um, healing from or being raised in an environment of alcoholism. Um, Can you tell us, uh, and it was your mother's addiction to alcohol. Yes. Um, And you, to quote you, you know, if she was having a good day, you had a good day. If you were having a bad day, your life was hell. Uh, Can you share a little bit about that with us, Colleen? So even before I was born, my mother, um, you know, from what I've gathered from different family members, my mother struggled from a young age from alcoholism. By the time that I was born, she was fully within her addiction. Um, And she, she was within that. She drank while she was pregnant with me. She just never could give it up. Um, And we actually lost her when I was 24 years old. And it was growing up um, from the time I was born to the, when I turned, you know, when we lost her, it was a very chaotic dynamic. It was a very codependent dynamic where it was very much centered around her alcoholism. Like you said, you quoted me, you know, if we had a good day, it was a good day. If it wasn't a good day, you know, it, it was hell. You know, she was, when she wasn't drinking, she was a very kind And, you know, she was a kind person. She was always watching out for those around her. But, you know, it was basically, we would call it like the jackal and the hide thing, because as soon as she started drinking, it was like a totally different person. And it was just very, you, like, I remember coming home from school as a kid and it was like, you know, that alarm would, you know, the bell would ring and it would just be like this feeling of dread in my stomach because we never knew what would, um, what would be coming. And it was just very, for both me and my sister, it was just very, 
there was a lot going on and it was just, you never knew. And it was, it wasn't a safe environment for a kid to grow up in. And I, I definitely got into survival mode from an early age where it was like, I was kind of being a chameleon to the situation that I was in. So I, I've done a lot of reading on codependency and uh, I just want to share, you know, some of you know our listeners and you may already know this, but codependency used to be called co-alcoholism. Yeah. Um, which is an interesting, and I also read uh, passages when I have time from the big red book of ACA. Um, and, you know, I've read 40 plus books on everything from codependency to family trauma to emotional abuse. Uh, my experience uh, has been with um, a narcissistic mother um, and then, you know, a stepdad and a biological father with multiple uh, personality disorders. So, um, it resonates me, resonates with me when I hear stories like yours and um, all the books that I've read by experts who talk about, you know, children of alcoholics and toxic family dysfunction. It's like now one under one umbrella. Right. So when, uh, you know, I, I know some listeners may not have alcoholism, may not have had narcissistic mothers. But when you say that dread of coming home and having to what you know walk on eggshells and be hyper vigilant, um, that almost no matter how much work you do, almost never leaves you. Leaves right. you. That's like a habit. So I can understand, and I hope my listeners can too, why that's so toxic to live with. Can you tell us a little bit about you know your dad? Um, my dad definitely growing up, it was very much like, he was my hero. And it's different because, you know, growing up, he was my hero. But right after we lost my mother, that really definitely changed because I was in a space where we were, I wanted to, you know, I saw, I definitely am upset that I lost my mother. Like it's, it's a very hard thing, but there was also like a certain sense of closure that came with that because, um, you don't know living with an active addict is very difficult. It's, it's just a lot of pull, push and pull. And when we lost her, I saw it basically as like a beginning, we could start, you know, healing from this and actually start to function like a normal family does. And he was just in a very different place than I was. And he's definitely kind of repeating those patterns of codependency, just because I feel like he's more comfortable with that, where, you know, I'm, we've kind of diverged a little bit. I was growing up, I was very close with him because he was the parent that worked 70 hours a week when he was there, he was there for us, you know, he was 100% there and he was the safe parent. And a lot of times you do reading and you hear, you know, a lot of times when you have an alcoholic parent or a parent that's, you know, abusive, and then you have a parent that's less abusive, a lot of times the kids will, you know, create a stronger bond with that less abusive parent because they, they're the safer of the two options. And it's definitely like, I think their dynamic was never really healthy and it definitely fed into that whole that whole addiction. And I just, I saw him as my hero, but that changed as I got older. Like, and we definitely are kind of in a weird place right now where we, you know, we're, we're on two different paths and we're civil to one another, but it's, it's not the way that it was before. 
Do you see him as an enabler? Yes, absolutely. And when did you recognize that he was an enabler? You know, at what age did you come to that realization? After, actually, after we lost my mother. Um, wow. Because, yeah. Wow. Because what happened is he's actually gotten into a couple different relationships where he is repeating those patterns that he did with my my mother. And that's kind of where it clicked for me because we started, like I said, our, we diverged because like I said, I was like, I don't want to live like this anymore. But I feel like he was in that for so long that it was almost more comfortable for him to continue, you know, getting in a relationship where he was, you know, giving 90% and the other person's only giving 10%. And I was like, why are you doing that? Like, you finally have an opportunity. You know, I will give it to him you know, with my mother, it was a very hard situation. I don't know if I would make the same choices, but at the same time, I respect my father because he was in a no win situation. And, you know, he did the best that he could given his background. You know, he was he like the stereotypical Catholics, we stay married forever type of thing. And he did the best that he could. But what really got to me was, after he lost my mother and he had a chance to heal from that, he just fell right back into that same codependent pattern. And I was like, that's not, I, I can't be, and that's kind of another reason why we diverged because it was getting to the point where that dysfunction was spilling into my life. And I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. Like it's not healthy. Well, you know, I give you, not that my credit matters, but it, you definitely deserve a lot of credit and kudos for recognizing that at such a young age. Thank so you. I, um, I talk a lot about family patterns. Is there anything you can share with us about your grandparents, you know, on either your mother's side or your father's side or both that sort of explain um, why they've made the choices that they did? I think it's bigger than, I think as a society as a whole, we have a tendency, I think this, you know, looking inward and the mindfulness and recognizing like intergenerational trauma is such a new field that I feel like they just, cause I had loving grandparents on both sides, but I feel like, you know, it's just, I'm trying to think about how to like say this. I think it was bigger than my specific grant. There's nothing in either side that really stands out that I'm aware of. Um, but I think that as a society, we have a tendency of, you know, it was very much don't talk about your feelings. You know, if we have a problem at home, we don't talk about it. And this inter intergenerational, like it just basically like it's a snowball rolling down a hill and we're finally getting to the point where we're talking about it and you're seeing a lot of healing, but you know, you have a, an older, like a child that was yelled at or like, you know, beaten by their, by their parents. And then, you know, they think that's okay. It's like, a, it just tends to run in generational patterns. And I think we're finally getting to a point where we're not accepting that anymore. Like it, I just think it's bigger than my specific grandparents. I think it's just a generational thing, if that makes sense. No, it does. Um, yeah, for for me, uh, you know, we didn't have alcoholism in my my family. We had rage. Yeah. Um, and you know, you don't go to the store to buy rage. It's always accessible. Right. So um, that was very consistent on both sides. So you know, that's what I'm hoping to a certainly eliminate within myself, um, which is a 
a never-ending process um, and make sure that I don't pass on to my children. So, and I do think that the fact that people talk about this now um, and say, you know, we can break the cycle, you know, with a little awareness. And I always say a little courage, a lot of courage, because yeah. not easy, not easy to do. So can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, how you're an advocate and your blog and, you know, what you like to write about, what you want your readers to, you know, gain, you know, from what you offer? So the reason that I first started talking about this is I just didn't know a way forward. And right around 2018, 2019, um, like early 2019, I was like in a really, really bad place mentally. And I just was like, I can't do this anymore. And I started to mentally unwrap, you know, my mother's alcoholism, the codependency that we had in our family, the, fa the fact that nobody wanted to talk about anything. And I kind of did that privately for a little bit. And then right around, I would say like June, July, I think it was in 2019, I started talking about it openly. And I found that there were people reaching out to me saying like, I know, you know, I've dealt with this. Like I totally resonate with what you're saying. And that you know, encourage me to talk about it more. And it's just been kind of like, a, like I said, a snowball effect where it's like, people are, I want to, it started kind of in a really organic way. And it's only within like the last six months or so I've been doing a concentrated effort to start getting, you know, like the question, there's community takeover Thursdays where on my Instagram, I ask a question specifically to adult child, children of alcoholics. And it's good because it gives them a opportunity to, you know, share things and to see answers from other children of alcoholics. And it's really community building. And that's my whole goal is to create a environment where they have that ability to share with one another. Like if I can use my story to help others share their stories eventually, because then that's awesome because it's definitely one of these things where nobody's been talking about it. And then one person starts talking about it. Then two people start talking about it. And it's like, it becomes this greater community effort to change the conversation around it, which is great. Like, and that's what my biggest goal is, is to start the harder conversations about alcohol and the way that we view it as a society. So yeah. What is it about the way, you know, society views it that you'd like to see changed or you'd like to I, see different. So I think that my biggest issue right now is that we have a tendency of glorifying, like, you know, you send kids off to college and, you know, it's, everybody thinks it's funny that they're binge drinking. You go to a wedding and people are just like, you know, they're 17 drinks and falling over themselves. And we have this very heavy alcohol culture, but once you get to the point where someone has a problem or, you know, they're, you know, they're not drinking at a wedding on Saturday night, they're drinking on a Monday morning, you know, there's nips in their car. All of a sudden we cannot talk about it anymore. And not only does that stigmatize that person that's struggling with alcohol, it stigmatizes their entire family. It becomes this don't talk about it. We can't talk about it anymore. And I think that like people assume that, you know, one weird thing that I've been seeing a lot um, and, you know, when you speak up against this stuff is people get really defensive 
and it's, I'm not anti-alcohol, but I just want to have honest conversations about it. And I feel like so many people struggle with that. Like if we're going to have it in society, I think that we need to have both the good and the bad parts of it so people can make educated decisions on it. So, um, and I'm glad there's people like you doing that. I also, you know, I like, you know, um, all the postings that you do on Instagram, you know, all these people, my life has been affected. So and you just see people of all ages, genders, sizes, shapes, colors, right. just amazing how pervasive it is. Um, can you talk a little bit about, uh, because, you know, people when they hit rock bottom, you know, think that it's never going to be better, never going to change. So if you wouldn't mind sharing, you know, you know, you hitting rock bottom, what it felt like, and then how you climbed out of that. It's definitely, I think that, you know, being the child of an alcoholic is very isolating and you see a lot of people that end up either, you know, using drugs or alcohol or they're promiscuous sexually, or they're, you know, they're trying to numb out what happened to them as a kid. And I definitely went through, you know, it's, it's very hard. Like you go through this thing where you can't talk about and it's like, it just changes who you are. And I definitely struggled for many years because I was running from it, running from it, running from it. And I got to a point right after my wedding where I was just like, I was so depressed. I didn't know who I was. Like I was so deep within that codependency that like, you know, I was giving to everybody else and not taking care of myself. I was mentally, like I was not in a good place. I was, I got the flu. I got like three or four, like really bad, like the flu, a cold conjunctivitis, the stomach flu. And it was like, wow. boom, 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 boom. Wow. And it was wow. like, I was constantly sick for three months. Like, and it was like, not only was it manifesting itself, like in a, in a mental way, where it was like, I was really like agitated with everyone around me. I was being aggressive. I was crying constantly, but it was also manifesting like in physical symptoms where it was like, I was sore. I was exhausted. I was sick. And it was like, I just, something had to change. Like I, I couldn't live like, like I, if I kept going like that, like I probably wouldn't be here. Like, it's just, it's, fu it's, it's funny. I, yeah. I have a, you know, a little blurb in, in my, in my book that says, you know, change or die. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, that's what it, that's what it, um, that's what it comes down to. Right. Um, how um, you said, you know, um, has your relationship with the important people in your life? I know how it is with your dad, but how has the relationship with important people in your life changed as a result of your awareness and insistence, good insistence on talking about it? Some people are okay with it. And then some people are not okay with it. Um, some people are very, they don't, like everybody that's close to me, like, you know, in my immediate nuclear family, like my father, um, you know, I'll bring something up like, and we don't want to talk about it. We ignore it. And I have to, you know, that's kind of where the boundaries and the space come in because this is part of who I am now. And it's like, I still want to maintain a relationship, but at the same time, I'm not willing to go down that road where I'm willing to betray myself. So it's like kind of trying to work on that new, where those new boundaries are. But I mean, 
I've also had people, you know, who are really close to me. Like I have a couple friends, like my husband's been very supportive. You know, his family's been very supportive people that know what I'm doing and they're very supportive of that. So that helps me, you know, there's going to be people on both sides of it. And honestly, living within that truth now and owning who a hundred percent who I am is like, it's so liberating because for so many years I had to pretend I was fine. I had to pretend like this wasn't an issue that it was, you know, I was, like I said, I was running from it, but the problem is, is when you run from something constantly, it is so tiring that you don't have time to figure out who you really are. And just knowing that and being within that truth now has brought me a lot of peace and a lot of wholeness. So um, that's, you know, really fantastic because it's so hard to do, get from where you were to get from where you are. Um, Are there any things, you know, I'm, I'm very big into aha moments because we can walk around, you know, doing our research, but, having it resonate you on such a deep situations or words or phrases or experiences that resonate you with you on such a core level that, you know, there's a huge amount of awareness at that moment, you know, aha moment. Can you, do you have a couple that you could share with us and, you know, that any kind of experience or uh, anything that brought you a shocking kind of clarity? I think, (laughs) you know, I think with me, it was definitely a bit, a bit more gradual Yeah. just because there's definitely this whole idea of like, I, I kind of came out of it really slow and you know, there was a couple disagreement, like there was one disagreement that I had with my dad where I'm like, this is not healthy. And I just, for some reason that just like, it was literally, I think it was right after our wedding and you know, he, he was asking for something and I was just like, you're, you're being disrespectful of me, my husband, my boundaries. And I kind of snapped and I was like, I, you need to get away from me. Like, and that's a, that's a great aha moment. And at that moment, you know, that's kind of where I was like, for some reason at that point, like up until that point, I had been giving and giving and giving. And at that point is the moment where I was like, I can't give you any more and like not give up my entire life. And that looking back, that's probably my biggest moment where I feel like I really stepped out of that dysfunction, that codependency and started moving towards something different. That's, uh, that's good for you. Um, <laughs> good for you. I just can't, uh, you know, when I, I'm always surprised, not surprised, um, amazed is a better word. You know, the, the, a lot of, you know, a lot of guests I've had are, are, are young and their wisdom at such a young age is, uh, astounding and humbling. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, can you talk a little, can you have advice listeners as to how to proceed how to think how not how to think but how to take the next step you know you have to healing sorry (laughs) no and healing I was trying to give you some uh tools to work with I think the biggest thing that for me is like you're never going to be ready you just kind of have to step into it. It's going to be messy. It's going to be chaotic. It's not just going to be like, and also one thing I like to tell people and I tell people this on my page all the time, it's not going to be like you go from A to B to C to D. 
like you're it's all over the place like and some days like I'll have really good days where it's really profound and I'm connecting with other people and there's other days where like you know I have a flashback or something when I was a kid and it just sends me off the deep end and it's like that's it's a lot rougher like it's definitely or you know we have a something someone's like I'm definitely one where it's like facial expressions you know, I, I was as a kid because of my mother's alcoholism, I had to read a room like immediately. So, you know, I can walk into a room and someone will make a face like because they're mad at something and that will be enough. And I have to, <laughs> I'm laughing I, because I can so relate. I'm, I'm not laughing at you. No, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm agreeing with you heartily. <laughs> right. But it's like, you definitely have good days and bad days and you have to just like remember to be gentle with yourself and to realize that it's going to be a roller coaster but you know as time goes on you start to see the you know the healing build on itself and you get better at that so just be gentle with yourself you know be compassionate we're all kind of just um stumbling around trying to figure it out like I feel like people are like oh well this person has it figured out and they just they don't, you know, it's just not that <laughs> so way. <laughs> I feel, I feel the same way. And, you know, I'm, I'm older and I have more years of, of being painfully dysfunctional than you do. Not that it's a competition. I'm just no. saying that. <laughs> no, I so what, I, what I'm saying is, you know, um, I still have, you know, flashbacks and I still have relapses. They're not as bad as they were, not as many. They're there. So yes, right. it is not linear. It is very messy. Yeah. And I think so, that's, oh, sorry. I think, you first. <laughs> I think it's, it's important because a lot of times, like, you know, I'm on Instagram, but a lot of people, one of my big things on Instagram is showing the good and the bad because people have this tendency of making it look like this really like spiritual, like higher above. It's perfect. It's, you know, the finishes <laughs> on it. And I'm very much like, I want to show each side of it so that people can relate to that. And they, you know, when they have a bad day, it's like, everybody has bad days. It's okay. <laughs> no, it's, and it's accurate and it's true. And, and we need more people like you on every aspect of social media possible. Thank you. So, um, any, um, Last words of wisdom before I give your links for people. And I'm also going to post it in the show notes too, but awesome. I'm going to read them and put them in the show notes. So anything you would like to conclude with? I think that honestly, by ch telling our stories in safe places, like a lot, so many people have said, like that's going to create the change and you know, there is space for your story. You just have to find the right group of people for it. So you know, there are people out there, you might have to search a little bit for them, but there are people out there who are, you know, willing to hear your story. And I believe that, you know, we heal within a collective. So that would be my final thought. Uh, I agree. Um, sometimes I have to remind myself over and above the books, the videos and, and everything. Healing does not happen in isolation. So you are correct. Find your peeps. Right. Find them now. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So, um, Colleen Perry's blog is caperry.org. Um, and again, I'm going to put the uh, links in the show notes. She's also on Facebook and Instagram. I follow her uh, avidly on Instagram. I suggest everyone else does that too. And I'm going to sign up for your blog. Awesome. That sounds awesome. So, Thank you. Um, so yes, to I'm toasting with water, a brave, <laughs> courageous, 
cycle breaker. Here's a glass of water to you. Thank you. And thank you for your bravery. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Have a great day, Colleen. You too. Thank you. Well, that was something else with Colleen Perry. Yes, another young person putting me to shame. <laughs> I love that. She really had an amazing story to tell, and she was yeah. so well-spoken. It was great. And articulate, and I love what she's, you know, I really love what she's doing on Instagram and giving a voice to people who probably wouldn't have one. So that's uh, fantastic, and we need to be doing more of that. Yeah, I like how she talked about the generations, you know, and how it wasn't yeah. just her grandparents. It was more about the generations, and it's true that things have changed over the generations to the point where people are more outspoken about these kinds of things. Whereas, you know, the last generation or two, nobody talked about it. People swept it under the rug. And it was, that was expected. You know, we have a, a culture that celebrates perseverance to the point of, you know, near death, you know, spiritual death. Let me, let me rephrase it. <laughs> and that's, you know, we, our culture rewards it. But that's really not how it, uh, what's really, really best for our inner peace. Yeah. It's okay to feel and it's okay to talk about it. That's right. You're not weak. Right. Right. Um, no, it's uh, getting all that awfulness from inside of you, outside of you definitely lightens the load. Yeah. I like when she talked about how she felt like a burden was lifted, you know, yes, I, I can relate. And you know, and how she moved on, you know, this, there was closure for her, but not for her dad. He went right back to, you know, how things have always been. Right. That's what he was yeah. used to. I mean, that's probably what he sought out and, uh, and what he continued to seek out. That's what he was used to. It's very hard to change. Yes. I did an, I did an article and a podcast on comfortably miserable. Right. And that's where a lot of people end up. And I'm glad Colleen did not. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to disrupt that kind of comfort. You know, it's not really comfort. It's uh, something else. But to disrupt that so that you can find your happiness is sometimes very scary. And it's a tough road. She said it's not from A to B to C. It's a rocky That's road, right. ups and downs, roller coaster. And, and relapses. And sometimes the more you know, the more, I shouldn't speak for everyone. Sometimes the more I know, when I do have, you know, relapses or flashbacks, I get a little impatient, like, oh, I mean, I've, I've come this far. Why is this happening? I should know better. And that is not a great train of thought, but I'm working on it. That's good. You sure are. Well, I think this concludes episode 10 of season four. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. We have put out a lot of content. You sure it's not season five? I think it's season four, <laughs> <laughs> but we will start season five with a very good interview. Yes, we do. We have a good uh, one planned. We do. Um, we're hoping as long as, you know, uh, nothing changes with uh, my stepsister. She has, uh, she's moving so that there's a little chaos with there, but she's going to be on our podcast in the next couple of weeks. That's very exciting. That is very exciting. I'm I'm hoping that, you know, you know, she has uh, three young children and moving. So I'm hoping that she can uh, create some space for this because um, it would mean it would be great for selfishly for me. Fantastic. 
All right. Very good. Tammy, we will speak again soon. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You have been listening to The Stuck Stops Here. We are not licensed therapists. We are not life coaches. We are not certified in anything. Nothing. I just want to be a resource for those beginning or on their healing journey.